You know, it is, uh, it's been a good week, a busy week, I'm sure, for many of you. And I am excited to be here. Uh, we can look into God's Word today and find our strength and our sustenance for this new and fresh week. You know, the world we live in is an extremely difficult one, uh, and much more difficult than it was for many of us growing up. Uh, some of us uh, have lost our hair, or our, gray, our hair is gray now, and we realize this is a new season of life, and uh, we almost go, oh, wouldn't it be nice to go back to those days, you know, a couple, three or four decades ago. Uh, I know one thing's for sure, do you agree with me? It's not very healthy to watch TV at night. Do you watch TV at night? It's not great because when you watch TV at night, what you discover is nothing but bad stuff, right? Well, I would advise that you keep the TV on something other than the news. Nice and light. Keep it light. This week, I've talked to many people, and, uh, and out of those conversations, uh, I've discovered a lot of people challenged, challenged by life, challenged by relationships, challenged by work, uh, not to mention what we just went through, a global health crisis, not to mention the challenges of life and even the fact that uh, basic gender identity is under attack right now. That's tough. You may be feeling that in your workplace where you're required to talk to others in a certain way that is quite unusual. Maybe even the church, as you think of the church, the church is under attack um, more than ever. At this time, uh, we're seeing so many churches in general just abandoning this book and, and talking about everything around the world, but not talking from this holy and powerful book. Uh, there's the economy that's a challenge, education systems a challenge, state of marriage is a challenge. By the way, uh, Isaac and Sarah are married now. Remember last week we m mentioned that? That's why, you know, just looking a little sharper today, I hope. And this is for them, yeah. But, uh, but state of marriage is a challenge. Families. Do you get the point? Lots of, lots of challenges, lots of difficult things. Note this, that the world, our world, uh, are filled with lots of big and significant problems that it seems that we can do very little about. And how easy it would be for us to get discouraged. Every morning, wake up going, here I go again, and get really discouraged and wallow almost in a sense of helplessness. How easy it is to believe that my meager resources, are, our meager resources are insignificant in the light of the enormous challenges that are out there. And what's the temptation in that? The temptation is to sit back and just do nothing. I can't do anything. I can't make a difference. And if I understand Satan's character correctly, that's exactly what he wants us to do. Step back and say, I can't do do anything about this. I can't make a difference at all. He wants us to feel overwhelmed and he wants us uh, to feel that there's nothing 
that we do that really matters. He wants to th- us to think of ourselves as lacking the resources to make a difference. And as you know, that's one of our pillars here. You know, we want to help people know God. We want to help people find freedom, discover their gifts, and make a difference. So is it really possible? He wants us to sit back and do nothing. Why? And if he was here, and if he would be honest with us today, he'd say something like this. He says, the thing that Satan fears the most of all is a Christian who understands the true power and the vast resources that are available to us in Jesus Christ. He does not want you to know that. The power and the resources are available to us in Christ Jesus. And if you're here today on your journey towards Jesus, trying to discover what what it means to be a follower of Jesus, well, one of the things is that you, in Christ, will have the power and the resources to handle the challenges of your life, whatever they might be. And so, you know, this morning, that's what I want to talk about. Do we have the resources? How do we look at this? So let's read Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. It's a little longer passage. You'll know it very well. And for those who are new to us today, we have been studying Mark for the most of this year and a little bit of last. And we'll just keep going through Mark chapter 6, where we discover great teaching for everyday life. This is a story you know well. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And so the apostles returned to Jesus, verse 30, and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is so late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to the heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Father, God, today as we look at this well-known story, this miraculous feeding of thousands of people with such a, a meager supply, We ask that your Holy Spirit would impress upon our hearts how you are 
our sufficiency. In everything in life, we can trust you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm so glad you're here because I've been excited about this message. It's like almost, you know, the typical Sunday school message. We love this story of a great miracle. And as we look at this situation, we see the disciples find themselves in the midst of a fairly significant problem. Uh, They're surrounded by a large crowd. It says 5,000 men, but that's not including the women and possible children that came along to hear Jesus teach. So it could have been close to twice that many people there. A huge, huge, and and even more of a problem, there were no restaurants, no food truck corrals around to go and grab some french fries or something delicious to eat and meet their needs. It was a solitary spot, and, and, and Jesus went there for a purpose. He hadn't actually intended to go and preach, although he knew what was going to happen, but he went there because the disciples had been out teaching. He had, been, he had sent them out for their first inaugural teaching tour. And they come back, and he knew what we know today as we look at the scriptures. When you serve God, you need to take a little time for yourself and refresh your heart, refresh your body. And so he said, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, verse 34. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You know, this crowd has been there all day long now. They've been listening and listening and and taking it in. And their stomachs have been getting tighter and tighter. And all of a sudden, a hungry crowd has turned into the possibility of a hangry. You know, that's what our kids are like. They can go along for so long and then all of a sudden, the hunger turns into a hangry. And so they have a problem. They have to... They want to help these people deal with this problem. And and as we see in verse 35 and 36, we see that the disciples correctly assessed the seriousness of the problem. And it grew late. The disciples came to him and said, verse 35, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to get something to eat in the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves food. And so they understood the nature of the situation. It was a very real situation. The people needed to eat. It was getting dark. And they were far away from their homes. But the disciples also understood the enormity of the situation in that 5,000 plus people. How would you go about feeding 5,000 people? Even if you had resources. Because then now, today, in today's situation, we have to think about... Um, do I have vegan dishes, vegetarian dishes, paleo, gluten-free, lactose intolerant, peanut allergies, low-fat, low-sugar? But they had none of that to worry about. But they understood the situation. And notice that Jesus didn't correct their assessment. He didn't say, you guys are all messed up. You're all wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't, you know. He said he understood it. So, what did the disciples think about, think that they were doing when they brought this problem to Jesus? That's, that's a question that we have to ask. What, what were they thinking when they brought this problem? Did they think, and I, I think they did, it, they thought this way, that Jesus was unaware of the magnitude, the scope of the situation. I mean, he'd been teaching all day. He'd been focused on what he's supposed to do. He hadn't, he hadn't a clue what the situation was all about. 
He's lost track of time, and he's lost track of the numbers. And, and they're going, it's not Jesus' fault. He was serving, and, you know, really, was, his, was it his job to anticipate all of this? No. But nevertheless, the disciples could see that there was a problem, and Jesus needed to be made aware of it. Not only made aware of it, but prompted to do something. Jesus, you've got to do something with this situation. And so they attempted, like any good um, up-and-coming leader learns, when you discover you have a problem, you bring it to the leader, but you also bring the solution. You know that, don't you? You don't just come and say, I've got a problem, without thinking, how, how can I encourage or advise my leader? on how to? And they did that. And so he said, verse 36, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And disciples, what are they really saying here? They're saying, Jesus, you may have not have noticed, but there's a problem. We think you should do something about it, and here's the solution. Here it is. They had it all figured out. Jesus, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Take care of it. Have you ever done that with Jesus? Have you ever come to your heavenly father and said, here's the problem. Here's what I think the solution is. Do something about it. If you're honest like I want to be right now, I've done that. I've done that. I thought I was brilliant. This is the way it should be fixed. Because I'm a fixer. I love to fix. What they are really saying is, that God, Jesus, God's son, would need to be informed by his lowly creatures of how bad things were. Isn't that really what's happening here? Do we do that? Have I done that? Yes, I have. God, why haven't you done something about this? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you care about us? Don't you care about me? Come on. Didn't you see my last bank statement? <laughs> I've said that before, I'm sure. God, didn't you hear what the doctor told us about this very terrible situation? God, can't you tell I'm worried and anxious and hurting? I know you're the all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-loving God, but don't you care what's going on in my life? And if you do see... Why aren't you doing anything about it? Don't you care? Doesn't this sound like just a few weeks back when Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side and he, and he does some great ministry that with a man who was possessed by legion, thousands of uh, demons within him. But on the way, they're going across and a storm came up and he, Jesus was tired. He was having a nice snooze in the back of the boat. And all of a sudden, this what we... Remember, we said it was possibly a satanic storm. It was like the earth was shaking on the water, and they all feared for their life, and they went back to Jesus, sleeping in the back of the boat, and basically said, don't you care about us that we're going to die here? And Jesus got up, and with still, quiet voice, he said, be still. And the storm stopped, and they crossed over without any further ado. The disciples aren't the first and only ones to have 
felt this way and like us have felt this way. Even David in the Old Testament, Psalm 44, 23 to 24. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? You ever felt that God was on, asleep at the wheel on you? I got stuff going on here, Lord. It's heavy. It's deep. Where are you? Are you sleeping, Lord? Wake up. And so I have to ask, were the disciples correct in their assessment of Jesus and his understanding? Absolutely not. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit are always, always, always keenly aware and keenly familiar with your life situation. Whether you believe it or not, scriptures in abundance teach us about the sovereignty of God he is at, at work always in your life and oftentimes in behind the, the curtain where you can't even see it. But he's always there, always working. Today, I think, as we look at this passage, it's really important for us to remember, to understand that Jesus had a different and higher purpose than just to meet the need of food, just to meet the need of hunger. He would do that but what he really desired was to meet their need in a way that would profoundly affect their deeper need. What's the deeper need? Faith. Trust. Our, our leaning in and knowing he will hold us. So remember, disciples came with a problem. They, they also came with a, a solution. Not a bad solution. But Jesus says simply, straightforward. You give them something to eat. No, no explanation, no nothing, but you. And I can imagine some of the disciples going, pardon me? What? Huh? Going, are you? And as a matter of fact, they talk about this. Uh, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Uh, uh, one denarii was a day's wage in that time. And he's saying, this disciple is going, we'd need 200 days worth of wages to feed this crowd. Now, I've got to be honest, I, I thought about this even last night, this morning. I have to check, do some research on this. I think that was an exaggeration. 200 days worth of work to pay for this crowd. You have a little bread. Get some water. So, you know, their shock was, okay, it would cost us a lot. But more than that, it was exaggerated. Jesus, what are you talking about really is what's happening. When God doesn't respond to our best laid plans, we often react like the disciples. Uh, when it happens, our reaction is often just like that. Oh, the, the problem now is bigger than what it was. And we're dealing with our own doubt, our own confusion, our own outrage and disappointment. Jesus, what are you talking about? How are we supposed to do this? You know what it will cost? Jesus, you don't deal with the finances. You know, you, you always say, uh, I, I just want to teach. You deal with the money stuff. So do you really know how much it costs? And I'm sure that those disciples say, 
Jesus, can't you just take care of this? Can't you just manage this? Why do we have to do everything? Oh, that would have been a good one. So, with that said, in this situation, what fundamental mistakes did the disciples make? And I, I've learned a lot in life from my own mistakes, but I also learn as I hear others who maybe didn't go about it the right way, and the scriptures are full of this because they're just broken men and women who God has transformed miraculously, and they've made mistakes, and so we can learn from them. Our disciples, our dearly beloved disciples, are a group of men that we can learn from today. First of all, the disciples did not respond in faith. They didn't really demonstrate here as we read that there could be another way of dealing with the problem. Even if they couldn't see it, they've watched Jesus bring people back from the dead. Wouldn't they, shouldn't they go, well, if he can bring somebody back from the dead, he can feed this crowd. Should have. And, it, you know, it's easy for me here this morning to be an armchair quarterback. You know what that is. Sit in my chair. Never played a day of football in my life, but I can tell the quarterback exactly what he should do. I'm watching, you know. And then we do this with the disciples. We might even say, stupid, faithless disciples. Oh, did I use that word? We're not supposed to use that word in our homes with the kids. Faithless disciples. Why? But how often do we make that same mistake? We see a need, perhaps a need in our own life, and we know the Bible says what we should do, but we kind of reject what the Bible says as impractical. Impractical. It's not what we need for the moment. Maybe we say things like, well, Lord, if, if you really understood this situation, you wouldn't ask me to do this. Uh, besides, it won't be enough. It won't solve the problem. It won't work. You know? Don't you love people in your life in situations and you come up with a solution, they go immediately, it won't work. It won't work. You just want to, you know, won't work. Say, come on, let's have some encouragement here. But we say that to God, it won't work. It's just not going to work. But when we respond like that to God, it robs us of the opportunity to see God work in some unexpected uh, sometimes even dramatic ways as we step out in faith. And I know for sure that you ha there are examples of that today in this room where God did some stuff in your life that you said, God, I'm trusting you, and he stepped out, and God did some amazing things. And all you want to do is give glory to God. It also uh, robs us of the opportunity to see prayers answered. Our lack of faith eliminates the opportunity to marvel at what God can do in our lives. It won't work is not the response that God wants. God wants a response, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. Do something beyond what I could imagine. May you get the glory. So the first Mistake is they didn't respond in faith. But the second is the disciples focused on what they didn't have instead of what they did have. Isn't this such a human nature thing? The disciples believed that they lacked 
the essentials for the need at hand. They thought uh, that, oh, because we don't have either money or food, it just isn't possible to happen. But Jesus asked them to focus on what they did have, and he asked a simple question. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. They came back after a little assessment of what they did have. I wonder if they were so flabbergasted. Lord, we've, we've gone, we've looked, we've taken our inventory of our resources, and they are completely inadequate. Simple as that. Won't make it. And we do the same thing. We look at the problem, we look at our resources, and we conclude that we don't have what, it's need, what we ha- uh, need to make things better. We don't have enough, maybe you can fill in the blanks with me, I've got a couple here, money, we don't have enough time, health, maybe I'm not smart enough for this problem, we don't have strength, wisdom, energy, we don't have influence, any of those ring a bell, maybe you have a couple yourself, I don't have whatever, enough of. The need's too great, the problem's too big, I don't have what is needed. And so we look at what we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have and trusting that what we do have is sufficient for what God has called us to do. The most amazing truth is that God will always provide the resources for what God is planning to do. Do you believe that? In reality, we often don't recognize what resources we actually have. We may not understand what God intends for us to do with them or how he intends to transform our meager resources or or that he intends to provide for the situation from a place we're not aware of. And I want us to remember today so very clearly, God's work done in God's way will always have God's supply. Read that a little bit more. Let that soak in. God's work done in God's way will always have God's supply. You can put it this way. God's life done God's way will always have God's supply. Again, it puts us all on that level playing field. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. And when God calls you, he provides. God will provide what you need. Transform what you already have. So that you can do all things God is calling you to do. Say a couple mistakes Faith was an issue, an improper focus on what they didn't have. Thirdly, the disciples came up with a solution that did not require God's power to be successful. This is, I think, so important for us to grasp. The disciples came up with a solution that did not require God's power for them to be successful, for this situation. They're thinking on... In, their, in terms of their own ability, their own strength, their own power. Their solution was rational, practical, it was obvious, but it was faithless. It didn't require God's power to be successful. Was the solution that the disciples provided 
unworkable. No. They could have sent the people home. Um, and I'm sure they would have eventually made it in the dark uh, and hungry. And they would have eventually been able to feed themselves from their own supplies at home. Would have been okay. But that didn't require any miracles. Didn't require any faith to meet the need of the situation. And so often God finds, uh, allows us to find ourselves in difficult or seemingly impossible situations so that we will have no choice but to trust him. No choice but to rely on his power and his grace. You ever felt that? Maybe you're feeling that right now, today. It is so clear to me that when my resources are not sufficient, that I have to either put my trust in God or perish and wallow in my own solutions, which never are very good. That's why good health, money in the bank, safety and security can be so very dangerous. We think those are the solutions. Those are the resources we need for whatever situation may come along. It's so true that they give us an illusion of being self-sufficient and having no real need for God. They give us a false impression that our resources are sufficient. And the reality is that it could be no further from the truth. Anything that we have could be gone tomorrow. The strength, the wealth, the intelligence, whatever, it could be gone tomorrow. And so here we have the disciples. They've taken inventory. Uh, if there was any doubt before, there's no doubt now. There's no earthly way they're going to be able to feed these people. They barely have enough for five. But Jesus wasn't looking for an earthly way to meet the need. He's looking for a heavenly way to have met this need. That is, by transforming what was a little into an abundance wasn't the few resources that they offered that mattered. What really mattered what was what Jesus could do with them. This morning you're sitting here and you may say, uh, maybe you're convinced that you, what you have to offer Jesus isn't enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not smart enough. Not whatever. You're saying, I'm not enough. What I have, who I am, I'm not very significant. Doesn't matter. You might even be saying something like, my, what difference could my meager abilities, my limited funds, time, resources, what difference could they possibly make? What we see here as the disciples gave to him these meager supplies, their seemingly quite inadequate resources, as they gave them to Jesus, they saw a miracle. And if you haven't figured out what I'm about to say, let me just say it. When we offer ourselves as a meager but willing and faith-filled resources, 
he will work mightily. Could have said, Jesus could have stand back, people. I'm going to show you a miracle here. Disciples, your faithlessness, well, we'll work through that, but let me do my thing. He didn't act like that. But we do know that, and we believe it very clearly, like the old saying is, the father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he was able to meet this need quite easily. He wanted to work through these disciples and their faith. Wanted to work through their obedience. Wanted to allow them to take what little they had and place it before him so that he could do what he could do. It's the same way today. God has unlimited power and he can meet any need, can solve any problem, but he wants to do it through you, his child. As a follower of Jesus, he wants to work in and through you. Now, be sure that the solutions that you think are the right ones may not be his. So it might not be provisions in the amount that happened here, but it'll get you from day to the next day to the next day. And shouldn't we be thankful for each day's provisions? He might, might not cure that disease that's ravaging your body, but isn't it wonderful that he provides what you need in the weakness that you feel as a human being to get you through the next day? Uh, to have people come around you and support you. That's the Father's work in your life. He wants you to do it. He wants you, through the full faith and obedience uh, that you can bring to him by offering your time, your abilities, and your possessions to work through you. And he does that here as a family through the body of Christ called the bridge. And then he does that through you individually as you go out into the community and you step out in faith and you watch God do miracles in other people's lives through your life. That's what he does. But as I conclude, let me leave this one thought with you that I think will really focus us. It was never God's intention that our resources should be sufficient. He wants to show us what he can do with the little we have. It was never God's intention that our resources should be sufficient. That's our thinking. That's basic human thinking. It's about me. It's all about God. And whatever meager resources we have, he will meet your needs and multiply. So I'll leave you with one scripture. It'd be a good one to memorize, I think. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Where does the sufficiency come from? It comes from God. That's why I titled this message The Surprise of God's Sufficiency. Sometimes, too many times, we're surprised that he is all-sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for our time together today where we've been able to just take a few minutes and really focus 
on you and what you want to do in and through our lives. Our prayer today is for each and every one of us here who is feeling a great lack of sufficiency. Or for those of us here who are trying to use our resources and what we think is sufficient, but not depending on you, not stretching our faith muscle and really relying on you. So today, help us to look to you and to learn from the disciples who we know they learned themselves how to trust you. So, Father, thank you for our time today, your word, and the truth that you are all sufficient for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.